The Print Files, where we bring you the inside story on the printing industry by Print21, the people who know print. Welcome, folks, to The Print Files, the podcast from Print21. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Wayne Robinson, the editor of Print21 and the hosts of this show. Wayne, over to you. Thanks, Grant, and good day, everyone, and welcome to the next episode in the Print Files series, Leading in Print, where we talk to the people leading progressive print businesses to understand what makes them tick, how they make the decisions they do, how they carry the weight of responsibility, and navigate a changing business landscape, hopefully providing insight and inspiration for print business owners and managers around the country. I'm delighted this week to welcome Susan Heaney, Managing Director of Heaney's Performers in Print, located on the Gold Coast and one of the leading print operations in southeast Queensland. Susan has been in print virtually her whole adult life, joining her father's business and 10 years later becoming Managing Director of the company, which today offers a full range of offset, digital, wide format print and associated services. She is also making major contributions to the broad industry throughout her career and today is Chair of the new Women in Print Association and of Media Super. Susan, welcome to the Print 21 Leading in Print podcast. Thanks, Wayne. It's great to be here today and hopefully I can add some insights and depth to the conversation. I'm sure you will. Um, Susan, let's start your early days at Heaney's Performance in Print. What made you decide to join the family business? What was it like then and what did you first do? I'm not sure it was a conscious decision to join, Wayne, because as most people who've been around the industry all of their life, for many years I was a probably a slave labour component. I think there's laws against that now. but uh, So that's how we started. But anyway, it was basically I was helping my father out. Um, I was, well, wasn't exactly on maternity leave, but I had had a, had a child and I was predominantly at home, but I was also running a small um, screen print uh, T-shirt making business. And my father asked me, because I had nothing to do, if I could come and work <laughs> for him for a couple of weeks to sort out a few few issues so I said yes two weeks is fine and that was in uh, 1989 so it was never really a conscious decision it was a, a fill-in part-time role that um, once I got there I liked to do things properly um, and I felt that two weeks wouldn't see that out so I kept on kept on going and here I am. Okay um, did you start off you know in the classic sweeping the machine floors or were you in the office or did you come into the accounts area? Originally, when I came in on that occasion, when Dad asked me to come in, it was to sort out the office and take over because um, his then wife was in the office and running it and he needed to, somebody to take over those roles so he could restructure his life. Uh, so I came in to do that. Uh, it was also, though, during the late um, 80s when the interest rates, as we uh, who were around then know, were through the roof, up around the 20%. Print was fantastic, though. He was making a great profit. I think back then he had about uh, eight or 10 staff perhaps, making great profit, uh, so much so that he had a tax bill. That, that was all good. The government was being good, letting him pay that off. But then the world changed because the interest rates, as we know and said, were high. But then banks started foreclosing on farms and businesses and all sorts of other things, and the government decided to call in their debt and forgo that payment period. So Dad had to suddenly then look at restructuring his business to how he would get cash flow in in a difficult banking environment. So that's why I ended up staying on there to help him through those processes, do business plans. So it was more an office uh, area of expertise, I suppose. Okay, and 10 years after joining the business, uh, you bought out your father and sat in the MD's chair where you still sit. Um, what did you do to prepare yourself for that role? 
uh, a lot of hard work, I guess. Dad also had business partners in. That was part of the restructure I helped him get. So whilst I was um, an integral role of Heaney's at the time and was in charge of the finances and a lot of the liaison with accounts and banks, I also sat in all their meetings and their board meetings. So I was always part of the heart of the business. Uh, but when I decided to buy Dad out, the it changed greatly because it was either he was going to leave the business or I was going to leave the business. I thought we sort of would be me leaving the business. I was incorrect. Um, so basically just what I'd learnt over the years, sitting around a board table, which involved accountants, solicitors, legal people, um, learning from the partners who came from exterior businesses, so they brought other knowledge that I could learn from. It was just a lot of learning from other people, making mistakes, learning by mistakes um, and improving as I went along. And education's always been a big part of your life. Um, why did you feel that was important and what's it given to you? That started probably, Wayne, after I became managing director because I was doing proposals to banks and pretenders and those sort of things. And a lot of it, as you probably gathered, was flying by the seat of my pants, making it up as I go along. So I wanted to do a business and marketing course just to see if what the expectations of the world were the same as what I was delivering. And I was pleasantly surprised that I was. But what the education gave me was confidence, I guess, confidence in the abilities and what I'd learned because to that point I wasn't really sure, as I said, that what I was doing along the way was the way things were supposed to be done in business. Uh, yeah, okay, it makes sense. And now Heaney's Performance in Print is one of the larger independent print businesses. Um, what steps do you take to make sure you're leading the company into profitable areas would you have off-site strategy days, for instance, or external input from consultants, or is it on a kind of more day-to-day -day basis organically within the company? These days, it's probably more organic. In the early days when there were still business partners and before I bought those out, we had more off-site strategic days. But now it's myself primarily in the chair. Um, I do tend to use sounding boards if I've got a direction I want to go in and I'm not sure, but otherwise it tends to be organic as it's needed. I seek out advice or plot and plan myself and off I go. Do you have other directors there or a senior management team that you work with or is it just you? Yeah, I do have a, a sales manager who obviously being able to have that focus of the sales away from what I do on the financial and the planning side helps because I know the, the place is in good hands. I also have a gentleman who oversees production so he can look after that and I have a part-time person in accounts who was with me full-time so whenever I'm not here or I need that extra help, she can hop in and I can not worry about the finances on that day-to-day -day basis while I'm planning. Yeah, important to have a team, I guess, that you can trust and, you know, will look out for you. Um, what value, Susan, have you used to underpin your leadership and decision-making? I think honesty and integrity are up there, but also empathy. I think being empathetic and looking at the needs of those around you and things that might be influencing them is extremely important. I think that's probably one of my strongest strengths. But it's also not only honesty and integrity, but trusting in my team. If I put people in place, I put them there for a reason and I give them the trust and the confidence to do their job uh, without me having to do it for them. Yeah, micromanaging is a difficult uh, and, and tempting uh, way to be, I guess, as the, as the leader, uh, but one that you have to deliberately not uh, turn away from, don't you? I think that's something I was very fortunate I learned very early. I had come from government before I started working in print and seeing the way government ran, and I, that's why I got out of government, I didn't like the way government ran, 
But I did learn that you do have managers in place because one person in a government organisation can't do everything. So I think that helped me. But micromanaging, I think, is just a road to ruin. Um, and also I like to, as you know, be away from the business quite frequently. And you can't do that if you don't have people you trust to do their job properly and to the fullest of their ability in place. And whilst it might not always be exactly as you do it, you can't have that because you can't clone yourself. So you have to have that process in place and, and run with it. Terrific, yes. And in your own personal leadership, Susan, is your personal leadership development something that's planned and supported by anything external? Or again, is it a more organic thing that happens as you go along? Do you have staging posts? Yes, staging posts as as needs arise. Um, I've always thought for myself I need to do extra training. And a lot of the training's been, um, I suppose, not formal training too. It's been part of associations like printing industry and having colleagues. I also joined a CEO group for a few years and having other colleagues that you can talk to and use the sounding boards and ask how they'd react and I think it's informal and I tend to do that with my staff as well. They obviously have formal training for their needs because they are tradespeople and those sort of things but if there's anything else around environmental or food handling or those sort of things, you know, you can do formal training but you can also do leadership training with them from your experiences. And, and is there a particular person or people that you've sought inspiration or do seek inspiration from as you go along in your leadership, a mentor-type person, I guess? No one person in particular. Uh, in the very early days, uh, as I said, I called upon a group of people. So the people I had around the board with me at Printing Industries back in the early days were, were fantastic support. Um, and also my accountant in the early days because he was more a business advisor than accountant because I do all my accounts pretty well in-house right up to that, except for submission stage, he checks it. But I used him from that point of view uh, as a financial standing advice and asked if I needed expertise I didn't have, I'd ask him if he could direct me to someone. So it's always been informal but and a, a large group rather than just one person. Heaney's performance in print, you lead leading into being a sustainable operation, financially, environmentally, socially. What does that mean for you and what are, what are the challenges there as the leader? Challenges. There's been a few over the years. I think trying to be prepared as best you can is always my foundation. I mean, obviously, you need good finances to, to be in a good situation. So if something happens, you can, you've, got, you've got wriggle room as such. But throughout my career, I mean, we had the, you know, the Asian crop interest rates, Asian crisis, and I thought they were pretty bad. Then we had the GFC and I just rolled my eyes and held on tight for that one because I'd just done a major invest, spent millions, just bought out my last business partner and then suddenly six months later I went, oh, I was prepared but not for this. How can you be prepared? And then I thought, well, that's now I've done that, nothing should faze me. But then look last year. What happened last year? I mean, no, you know, pandemic. I mean, yeah, that's the stuff movies are made of, not stuff that you live day to day. So... Yes, you can be prepared and have financial resources and things like that and people to turn to, but flexibility, being able to be flexible and just sit and be prepared to be able to scrap that and say, okay, I'm happy to start at the beginning, talk to people and honestly say, hey, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you, you know, if you've got any ideas, please come and talk to me. And that includes my staff, especially in in COVID. I mean, I'd never said before to them I didn't know what I was doing because I'm supposed to be the confident head of the ship. But COVID, I was honest, I said, seriously, I don't know how we're going to ride this one. I don't even know what it's going to be. Financial, I can, you know, rework an Excel sheet a million ways and keep doing it. But, you know, with COVID, it was a very interesting ride. So, and I think yeah, just having that flexibility and honesty and being open and 
inviting other people in to be of assistance if you need assistance. And so did you feel that in that COVID period you were all in it together as one rather than you being the leader and then being the staff, but you're kind of going through as one whole unit? Definitely, definitely. Obviously, the buck stops with me because all, all, all finances and everything are tied to me, but it's not just about me. I mean, my staff have been with me for a very long time. I've been very fortunate over the 30-odd years I've been in this industry that some of my staff have been with me that long, um, which on the Gold Coast is a very unusual thing, and a lot of my staff are sort of in that 10 to 22-year period. So a majority of my staff have been with me a very long time, so they're like family. Well, I spend more time with them probably than my family sometimes. But So, yeah, no, we're definitely all in together and always had an open door. So if there was something happening in their life that COVID was putting un necessary pressure on for them to come and talk to me so I could help them in any way I could. It might just be as a sounding board, but just so I was aware of their circumstances and how they would interact with the business as well and also their partners. Like you bear the weight of responsibility essentially for their mortgages in their lives. You're, you're the leader of the business. How do you cope with that yourself? How do you deal with it? How do you sleep on that, now, especially in the COVID time? Don't sleep. <laughs> Especially in times like that, I, I, it truly, and I think a lot of people would be the same. It does cause many sleepless nights and, and a lot of anxiety. But to me, my spreadsheet's always been my friend. <laughs> I always have to know where I stand and what I'm doing in organisation. So if I've got a good grasp on that, that helps alleviate some of those pressures. And to be honest, without the government support through COVID, I think a lot of us wouldn't be where we are. So that helped tremendously and being open and honest about that as well. Um you know, I don't have unlimited resources and I did have some good resources before at Bank Heavens, as I spoke earlier being prepared, but, you know, it was seven or eight weeks maybe before JobKeeper cut in. That's a lot of time to have not much volume of work and be paying out wages and everything else over that time. So it's, yeah, just being prepared, being honest, being flexible, move this way and, and be able to move quickly is the other thing, not procrastinate, be confident in your decisions and make a decision and go with it and stick by it. I guess that's the advantage of being a smaller business. You've got that agility and ability to be nimble. But at the same time, you've, you've got to back yourself, haven't you? Because you're the person making the decision. <laughs> yes, you have to be fairly sure of yourself or at least, you know, sure of what you've put in place to, to back your decisions. And that grows. I think with time in business, that grows, that confidence. How do you see the future for print panning out, Susan? There will always be print. I mean, there's... As you say, you go to those installations where they say, well, without printing, it's just a blank wall. We we love print. We, we read it in more ways than we know. So it will always be there. There will always be niche operators and there will always be quite a few big operators. But I think where we've at from GFC to now, the industry's changed greatly. It will never change back. And crises like we've had change buying patterns again. So once again, the need for flexibility. But I think it will always be there. It's just a matter of in what form and what size and you've got to be able to adapt your business to that, whether it's growing into a certain market like packaging at the moment or whether it's recognising your market is dropping and changing your business to say, well, that's fine. You don't have to be the biggest and the best. You just have to serve a certain portion of the market and as long as you're profitable and it's suiting yourself and everybody in your business, there's nothing wrong with that. Biggest isn't always best. I guess with Heaney's performers in print, when you started a business, it was a straightforward offset printing company, was it? And today you do, as you say, packaging, wide format, variable data, mailing. They're all situations you developed into over the years. Yes, through necessity. And that's, once again, being flexible because 
I remember in the 90s, one of my first decisions as the managing director was to sell our A1 offset press. And everyone's going, you're selling your A1, just going to A2. And I said, well, yeah, there's so many A1 presses in the market. I feel that there's too much domination. I'd be better suited to try and get into that A2 market and concentrate there rather than have the competition. And that was a scary decision. I did it with a lot of spreadsheets, but, hey, I still didn't know whether it was the correct one. As it turned out, luckily it was. Uh, but at the time, it was it was a very scary move. Um, but once again, it's having that confidence to make a decision and then put it into practice. And also, if you're wrong, sometimes that you're wrong. Admit you're wrong and say, okay, step back and, and realign. Yeah, and that's not always easy to do either for a leader, to admit they pull the hands up and say, I got this one wrong. <laughs> Happens, <huh? laughs> I think <laughs> I mentioned sure. earlier, learning from my mistakes. <laughs> yeah. As well as running uh, Heaney's Performance in Print, you've been actively involved in leading print industry associations for 20 years now, and now you're chair of Women in Print, chair of Media Super. Um, what's your motivation for supporting the wider industry, and what do you think you gain from being involved? I guess you have to start at grassroots. I was brought up that um, basically if you give, you get back in return. It's not why you do it, but it's just a natural, the natural way of the world, and it helps to sort of think of others and give back. Um, a lot of it to me too is ways of learning, like the Printing Industry Association was a way of getting out, meeting colleagues who run much bigger businesses than I am, you know, sometimes in, in, in other countries, you know, nat national companies, things like that. So it was an opportunity to meet, learn, understand. And no doubt I was able to give some to other people as well, but for me it was just a matter of being there. And I believe in the association from the point of view of supporting businesses to be stronger, to have good employment uh, rules and, um, you know, I jokingly talked about being slave labour when I was a child, sticking things in envelopes and all that sort of things. But I believe in, you know, the policies and the practices that the, the industry has to have and that extends then also to superannuation. I believe in superannuation. I've been involved on superannuation boards since the last the late 90s. So I believe in having that for, your, for, well, for yourself and for your staff when they retire to make their, their lives better and easier as they they progress so it's a give and take situation i think and i guess the politics of those big old associations media suit you know there i mean that would be a challenge as well and, and interesting in many ways it makes you learn about yourself it makes you um examine how you interact with other people and how you can shift and shape other people's maybe opinions or get them to tone them down so i think it's been a great exercise for myself i mean to get to chair of certain places i mean that was a progression it's not something that happened overnight and I think it's also faith that your colleagues have in you to put you in those places um which I think you once you get there you have to make sure you do the right by the people you're there to serve um it's, and it makes you look at yourself and examine the way you do business and treat people which I think is entirely important in life in every aspect it's not just you it's looking and serving people around you and what you're there for for sure um, Susan, you've been leading in print for more than two decades now. Uh, what are the most important lessons you've learned in that time? What advice would you give to young leaders in the printing industry today? I think to not be afraid of challenges, to embrace them and take them on, you know, like walk through the door. You don't know what's going to be on the other side, but have the, have, have the courage to walk through the door and accept what's there. It doesn't mean to say you have to hit it head first, but, you know, to summarise and, and roll with the challenges, to seek other people out to help you along the way because I think that's the biggest thing you can do. Whilst you are alone in a CEO position, there are always other people out there who are very generous with their time and happy to help. Uh, seek, the, seek those people out as well um, and just, yeah, 
go for it, basically. Yeah, great advice. Um, and finally, Susan, leadership can be an all-consuming business. Um, how do you relax at weekends? Where do you go to recharge? Are you actually able to do that? I think it's something I've done from the very beginning. And I think there was something that's one thing I may have been able to teach some of my male colleagues early on because I was a single parent running this business and I was working huge hours. But I always, one of the reasons I was in the business too, it gave me flexibility to have hours that suited working around a young child, which I think the world's now coming to um, at a greater rate. But I always, because I had a young child, and I'm talking primary school, preschool, holiday time was always important. So I always made sure I had half of the school holidays every year with my daughter and did things with my daughter and my family. So that meant I was having six weeks holiday a year, which a lot of people back then thought was horrific. But it's something I've always found, but not only was it for my daughter, it also helped me recharge. That week every three months helped me reset. The three weeks at Christmas time gave me that really big recharge. And I've always found that important. And when I don't have it, I really notice the difference. So I think taking time for yourself and your family and others around you. So family's always my external motivator, but also, as you probably know, and if you've read a lot about me, it's travel. I'm passionate about travel and you know, desert and photography and all those sort of things. So, And uh, apart from the travel, which we can't do right now, but those six weeks a year, three weeks, Christmas, three other weeks, have you carried that on as your daughter's grown older and not necessarily needed you to be there? Not quite as rigidly because I don't have those set times to do them, but I do try and have them... I sometimes fail because GF, well, GFC and COVID, for example, last year really knocked those holidays on the head because I couldn't, didn't feel in the beginning I could go. Uh, because I had more people than myself to look after. But then once it got to a certain point, yes, October last year, I went off for 12 days and my staff run the place wonderfully without me. I had time off at Christmas. Um, so, yes, I do try and do it. And not always the big three-week one, but sometimes it might be every second or third year I have a four- or five-week week break to recharge. So, yeah, I still believe in it and I still think everybody should do it. A holiday is not something bad. It's not you neglecting your business. It's, it's an opportunity to recharge yourself and give you thinking time. Good to hear. And I guess you can only do it because, as you said earlier, you trust the management and the staff that you've got there to do the job while you're away. Yes, and I learned that from my father. He was a one-man band. Basically, when he went, the business shut because there was no one to run it. And I thought, I'm not going to be beholden to a business in that way. I want to own the business. I don't want the business to own me. So, And that's been one of my steadfast rules from the very beginning, and I think that's made a huge difference. Okay, well, Susan, it's been great talking with you. Uh, great to get an insight into the way that you lead your company and you've led your life uh, and the way that you're in, leading in fact, Women in Print, which is on for the next month, uh, and which is going really well, I understand, in terms of ticket sales. And you've got Steve Gamble from Van Anker there, uh, which is terrific. Um, so thanks so much for your time. I uh, appreciate that. Best wishes to you from the Gold Coast. And uh, that's it for this issue of uh, the Print Files, Leading in Print. Thanks, Wayne and Grant behind the scenes. Thank you for the opportunity. And no doubt we'll chat again in the future. Okay, thanks, Susan, and thanks, Wayne. That's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed uh, listening in about education, both school of hard knocks and real education, as they call it. <laughs> and the love of spreadsheets is a wonderful thing. I, I do share that. So <laughs> thank you very much. It's been a great episode. And with that, folks, uh, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of The Print Files. We'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. The Print Files podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Print 21, owned and published by Yaffa Media. 
The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Print 21, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact Print 21 via their website, that's print21.com.au, or send an email to editor at print21.com.au. You can subscribe to the print files via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on the printing industry at print21.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.